dismiss young people right now uh, to head to the upper room. So young people can head to the upper room for time in the word right now. And uh, everyone else just has to suffer with the guy up here. All right, Philippians chapter 3. Hopefully you're getting there. It was January 3rd, 1993, and the Buffalo Bills were headed toward or heading toward the Super Bowl, which they eventually lost. I understand that the Dallas Cowboys got crushed. Anyway, they were playing against the Houston Oilers, and at halftime, the score was 28-3. to Now, that is not a good score to have if you're a Buffalo Bill. Many thought uh, the game was over at halftime, and it probably at least seemed to be. In the third quarter, the Oilers intercepted a Bills pass, and they took it in for a touchdown, and they took a 35-3 lead. At the end of the third quarter, again, the writing was on the wall as far as most were concerned, but the Bills, no one told the Bills that. A great comeback took place in the fourth quarter, and they amazingly tied up the game at the end of regulation. In overtime, the Bills kicked a field goal, and they won the game 38-35. On the Monday following the game, a radio personality that you probably wouldn't know the name, a guy by the name of Rush Limbaugh, was having a conversation with a high school football coach. And, he, and the football coach shared a truth that most coaches have known for ages and tried to instill in their players. Here's what he said. It makes no difference who's ahead at the end of the first quarter, who's ahead at halftime, who's ahead at the end of the third quarter, or even who's ahead at the two-minute warning in the fourth and final quarter. It only matters who's ahead when the final whistle is blown and the game is over. At the end of the first, second, and third quarter, no one knows exactly who's going to win. And in many cases, not even with two-minute warning, is anyone certain of who will win the game. And the coach ultimately said this, athletes ought to be brainwashed with that truth. And they're right. The Bills proved it. And by the way, other teams have throughout history. It's not, as they say, it's not over till it's over. Now, Christians need to live with that mentality, my friends. Paul certainly had it, and he shares it with us, starting in verse 13 of Philippians chapter 3. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. You know, he had a, a mentality about him that said, it's not over until the whistle blows. And I got a job to do until it does, and I'm going to do it. I'm going to play the game. I'm going to press on, as my dad always used to say. I think it was one of his favorite sayings. I'm just pressing on, and that's what God wants us to do. And I hope you'll be challenged to do that very thing today as we look at these verses and the verses which follow in Philippians chapter 3. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so very much that you've given us a race to run, that you have in your word told us how to win the victory in our Christian life and how to walk with you. And I pray that you would help us all to be stirred about that today. 
Help us to understand that if we have breath within us, if we have life this morning, that we have a job to do, that there is a task, that there is a race to be run, that there is a work to be done for the glory of God. And may we have the attitude of Paul as we leave this place today if we didn't have it before. And may we have the attitude that we're going to press on for the glory of God. And I pray that you would touch our hearts once again with this passage of Scripture that you gave us opportunity to at least glance at last week and teach us the lesson we need to learn from it. And we pray these things and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, you might ask the, or say, and as I just said in prayer, well, Pastor, didn't you preach on this passage last week? And the answer is, well, we did. And it taught us in Philippians chapter 3 a great lesson about rejoicing. Quite frankly, if I wanted to say what was the focus and what is the focus of Philippians chapter 3, it's this, it's how to rejoice in the Lord. That if you will follow what's laid out for us in this chapter, if you'll have the life that Paul had, if you'll have the focus that Paul had, starting in verse, I would say probably in verse 9 and on through the end of the chapter, you will know how to rejoice in the Lord all the time, every day, all the time. And so, yes, we did take a look at these verses, but these verses are so rich with truth. We were only able, if you would, just to kind of mention them last week as we were walking through the passage and looking at some of the different things that, that, uh, that Paul, or at least his life indicated, would help us to learn to rejoice at all times. And so I wanted to come back today and take a look once again at the passage because it not only teaches us about how we can rejoice in life, but it teaches us actually in a very, a very clear way about an important doctrine that many people misunderstand in Christianity. Now, the word is not found in the passage, but the doctrine is the doctrine of sanctification. And if you've never heard anything about that before, you need to, because sanctification is what the Christian life is all about. And in this passage, it is laid out for us very clearly what sanctification is. And it actually will help us to understand what a lot of people don't understand. There are some religious groups today that greatly misunderstand the, the, what the Bible teaches about sanctification. And Paul actually teaches us everything we need to know about sanctification in this passage, even though he doesn't even use the word, because he teaches us what the Bible has to say about that doctrinal truth. Now, we're going to learn about that doctrine, but not in a boring informational way. We're going to learn about that doctrine in a practical way as Paul explains to the church at Philippi, which needed joy, that joy comes when a believer is involved in this process of sanctification. And if you will listen carefully, you'll find that there is a process that will affect your joy and you'll learn what's needed to please God. And that is very important, my friends. So I want you to see, first of all, the picture of sanctification that's laid out for us in this passage. Follow along, if you would. I'm going to go ahead and read verses 9 through 14. And be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect. 
but I follow after if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth into those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And let me go ahead and read verse 15. Let us therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. And if in anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. In these verses that we've just read, we kind of have laid out for us the picture of sanctification. And I want you to see it and understand it. First of all, do you know what sanctification is? Maybe we got to start there. So let me explain it. The word sanctification is, is like a, well, it's one of those big terms that everyone likes to use to impress folks, all right? But it really means simply to be holy, to be set apart. It is what God desires for every person who is part of the family of God. In fact, it's what God saved us for. And he explains that in these verses. And he tells us that, that, uh, that very truth. The purpose of your existence is to be sanctified. Literally, it means to make holy, to purify, to consecrate. It's found about 63 times in the Bible. God made man that way when he created the world. Did you know that? Man was perfectly holy. He was sanctified. He was set apart for God when God first created Adam and then made Eve. And the first two uh, human beings that were ever in this world, and uh, not by the process of evolution, but by the process of creation that God made. All right? Those first two beings were perfectly holy. They knew a perfect relationship with God. In fact, God made them for that. Every day, God would come down into the garden that he had made for man, and he would meet with man, and he would have fellowship with man. And we don't even know how long that went on. But we do know that for a time, they enjoyed sweet fellowship with God because they were made totally sanctified, totally holy, totally pure and consecrated unto God. And therefore, every day God could come and fellowship with them and talk with them, but something changed it. It's talked about in Genesis chapter 3. Sin entered into the world. God made a tree, and, and that tree was in the garden. And God said, you shall not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because then the day in which you eat thereof, you shall surely die. And man failed God. Man turned against and went his own way and ate of that, and sin entered into the world. And when sin entered into the world, something had to be done because sin broke the relationship that God had with man. Something had to be done about sin, and that's why Jesus Christ came. You realize that everything in, in the Bible, everything focuses on Jesus the Christ because Jesus was the one who came to take care of providing a way for men to be sanctified once again. God made them that way, man sinned. And sin and death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned according to the Bible. And since the time that Adam and Eve sinned, something had to be done to deal with sin so men could fellowship with God. And that is why Jesus Christ came, and that is why Jesus Christ died. Jesus Christ came, died, was buried, and rose again the third day so that men could be sanctified before a holy God and enjoy a relationship that they couldn't enjoy because sin had broken their relationship. And my friends, there's only one way for people to enjoy a relationship with God today, and that is by being saved, by putting their faith, putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. 
And Paul talked about that in verse 9. He said, you know what? I want to I stand before God. He says, I want to be found in him. Now I'm having my own righteousness, which comes by certain laws and doing this and doing that and doing all these other things. Because doing anything will not take care of your sin. Something had to be done for it. And he said, I want to have that which comes through faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Now listen, here's what he brings out in verse 9. And Jesus came to provide for man's sanctification so that men could be holy and set apart for God and men could enjoy a relationship with God that was broken by sin. And when someone gets saved, God completely, absolutely sanctifies them by the blood of Jesus Christ. It's an amazing thing. According to the Bible, a man is completely sanctified when he trusts Jesus Christ as Savior. We use a term to describe it because in the Bible, there's a couple different pictures of sanctification. You've got to understand it. The first word we often use is, is a positional sanctification. Now, I'm not trying to confuse you. I'm not trying to mess you up. But here's what happened. When I trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior, I was seven years old when I got saved. How old were you? Now, if you've been saved, if you're part of the family of God, if you've trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, when you did, the very moment you trusted Christ, he sanctified you. All your sins, every one of them, all the sins of your past, the sins of the present, and even the sins of the future have been put under the blood of Jesus Christ. You are completely forgiven. He sees you as sanctified. We call this positional sanctification. And the reason we call it that is because in our position before God, he always sees us this way. That is an amazing thing, my friends. It is an amazing work that Jesus Christ did. And he did it not because we were baptized, not because we did some miraculous work, not because we worked real hard and we've tried to live a moral life. No, he did it by grace, through faith, as a gift. God totally sanctifies and Paul said that he had that very thing. He said, look, I, I am not trying to be sanctified by the law. In fact, Paul could have said, I used to. I look at my life and I look at everything that I did. First seven verses of this chapter. And he says, man, those things all said, Paul, you are fine before God. But I realize I'm not. I needed the righteousness of God. He gave it to me. He totally sanctified me when I trusted in Jesus Christ, when I put my faith in him. Has that happened in your life? If you've trusted Christ, then God sees you positionally as totally sanctified and holy so that now you can enjoy a relationship with God you could not enjoy before you were saved. That is a wonderful truth, and he talked about that in verse 9. But here's the thing. We don't always live that way. See, the purpose of our existence is to enjoy fellowship with God. And the plan that God had for that was to take care of our sin by the blood of Jesus Christ. And positionally then, he has made me holy. But listen, I don't always live that way. I don't know about you, but, um, you know, since I've been saved, I, I, I've kind of failed a few times. Let's see, I think once, uh, no, the truth is I've failed many times, this holy God, and I still sin. And you do as well. See, there's a problem that plagues us. Look, if you would, at verse 10. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death, 
if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Now, this is kind of interesting. These verses can sound confusing, but let me explain it. All right, we got positional sanctification, right? When I trust Christ, God forgives every sin, every sin I ever have done, every sin I ever will do. I am on my way to heaven. I can't lose that because it's a gift that God gave me. He gave me eternal life, and I came when he sanctified me when I trusted Jesus Christ. Positionally, I'm that way. But in practice, I'm not. And Paul talked about that in verses 10, 11, and 12. You see, someday I actually, when I stand before God, will be totally sanctified and I won't struggle with sin anymore. Is anyone looking forward to that day? Wow, it's a wonderful truth. By the way, this is the other aspect of, of sanctification. Sometimes we use the term, it's perfect sanctification. There's coming a day when what God sees me positionally, I will actually be as I stand in his presence when Jesus, when either I die and go to meet him or when he comes again and takes me to be with him. And from there on out, I won't ever struggle with sin anymore. I will be totally sanctified and I will enjoy a relationship with God in its perfection as God originally intended when he made man in the garden in the first place. Now I'm telling you, that's a wonderful day to look forward to. You know who's enjoying that right now? Ray Umstead. He is. And so is every other person you know who knows Jesus Christ. My mom and dad are enjoying that today. They know what it's like to be completely sanctified. Just not have struggles anymore with sin and with the, with, with the, the sins of the flesh that want to take us the wrong way. And so there's this perfect sanctification that's coming someday. So we have two things pictured, right? You got the understanding that we have this um, positional sanctification, God sees me as someone who hasn't sinned. Someday, I will be someone who is perfectly sanctified and I won't struggle with sin any longer. And he's talking about that. He says, you know what? The reason why Jesus saved me was so that someday I would be able to be in that position and in that place where I'm totally sanctified and I know the wonderful blessing of walking with God in perfect communion. And that's coming someday. But between there and there, I have to live. And verses 10, 11, and 12 describe that. Paul said, I just want to know Jesus Christ. Because in knowing Jesus Christ, I will start to live how God sees me and how God someday will make me. And in between, I've got this life to live. And this life, as far as I'm concerned, is this, pressing toward the mark. I'm going to be perfect someday. He already sees me as perfect, so I want to live that. That's sanctification. And I'm telling you, a lot of people, a lot of churches misunderstand and teach wrong things about that. They, some churches teach that there's, there's this time in life when you get, you get a second blessing. That's sometimes how they describe it. And all of a sudden, you no longer sin any longer. Boy, I wish that would happen. But unfortunately, this preacher hasn't experienced that yet because it doesn't happen. In fact, think about it. Paul is writing this. Now, is there anyone you know of when you read through the, the New Testament that you would say is more spiritual than Paul? Come on, I'm not trying to put him up on a pedestal, 
This man loved God and lived for God. He served God. And you can see over and over. I mean, his, his entire life seemed focused on living for God. And look, he was the one who said, I haven't arrived. I'm not already perfect. And I want you to know that. So I strive with all my heart to know him because in knowing him, I'm going to be more like him and I'm going to be preparing for the day when I am completely perfect and I'm going to be living in, in light of the fact that he already made me perfect. That was what his life was all about. And he described it in verses 13, 14, I pressed toward the mark, the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. My life is all about living sanctification. And the term we use to describe that, all right, so we have positional sanctification. Say it with me. Positional sanctification. I'm completely, my sins are completely forgiven. Otherwise, I couldn't be on my way to heaven, but I am. There is someday going to be perfect sanctification. So I say it, perfect sanctification. All right, right here and right now, I don't live that way. And we call it progressive sanctification. Can you say it? Progressive sanctification. And that's where these verses fall. And the truth is, God saved you to make you perfect. And he wants you right now, this very moment, to be living as one who's trying to be that. Even though you aren't, if Paul would say, I haven't attained, I'm not perfect yet, but I'm striving for this, then we would all have to say the very same thing. I'm not there. I'm not perfect, but I'm striving for it. Now, that is what is going on, and that is sanctification. And it's pictured in these verses, verses 9 to 14. The purpose of your existence is to be completely consecrated and holy so you can enjoy God because you couldn't because of sin. And Jesus totally took care of that when you trusted Christ. Positionally, you're saved and on your way to heaven. Someday you will be perfect, and that's what Jesus apprehended. That's what he saved you for so that someday you would actually know exactly what he did for you when he saved you. But now, as you live life in between, you have a job to do, and you have a responsibility to do, and that is this matter of progressing in sanctification. You see, this problem that pro plagues us is sin, and we still sin, and we still struggle with things. You see, we don't always want to know God as we ought. And, and we haven't attained. We're not already perfect, verse 12. And uh, he apprehended me for that reason. He wants me to enjoy sweet fellowship with God. But every time I sin, it ruins that. It doesn't change my salvation because positionally, I'm sanctified. It doesn't change what's going to happen someday because he will make me perfect. But it does affect my relationship right now when I'm not progressing and becoming what God wants me to be. And that's where these verses fall, and that's what these verses uh, teach. We have a friend who grew up in the Nazarene church, and the Nazarenes believe that perfection can be achieved in this lifetime. And uh, he happened to go because his, his mom was still attending the Nazarene church, and just because of family responsibilities he felt he needed to go to a, a special service I don't know if it was a reunion there or something to that effect and he went to the service at the Nazarene church and and he heard the message from the preacher and in, in the message I think the preacher talked about uh, this this uh, teaching that some have about sanctification that all of a sudden at some point in your Christian life you have this experience and then you're perfect and he indicated the preacher did that he had reached that and so after the message 
my friend, because he wasn't one to usually keep his mouth shut, my friend went up to shake the hand of the preacher as he was leaving the church. And he said, you know, I, I thought it was real interesting what you had to say from the word of God today and what you tried to teach about the matter of sanctification because I found that Christians aren't perfect and they will never be perfect in this lifetime. And, uh, and the preacher didn't appreciate his comment. <clears throat> and so um, he said, well, I am. And it happened to me, and he gave him a number of years uh, previous. He says, I haven't struggled with sin since. And so my friend said, you know, I find that interesting because when I read in the Bible, I, I read about a man named Paul. And in Romans chapter 7, when Paul talked about his life, he said, the good that I would, I do not do. And the good, the, the good that I would not, those things I do. And he talked about the fact that he was struggling all the time in his life. He says, I don't think, I don't think anyone has reached probably where Paul did in his life. So how could we say then that people could be perfect? He said, well, I am. And then he described his meeting with the, with the preacher because the preacher started to bounce up and down. This is kind of after a message. And he started, he started to turn red in the face and talk about how he had experienced this and how he had become perfect. And my friend said it took a Baptist two minutes to ruin it all for him. <laughs> um, here's the truth. And this one isn't making fun of Nazarenes. It's just, it's, it's sadly that people misunderstand sanctification. People have a, a faulty idea about sanctification. In this lifetime, you will never end your actions, never completely be perfect, but you're supposed to be striving for it. Why? Because he made you that way in Jesus Christ, and he already sees you positionally as sanctified because he will make you perfect, and his desire is for you now to enjoy him, and you can't enjoy him unless you're striving for that. You will never enjoy him like you are unless your life is focused on this matter of I want to be what God made me and what God is going to make me someday down the road. I want to be this kind of Christian that just enjoys a closeness to God. I want to know him. So let's look at the practice of sanctification. How does, it, how does it happen then? And, and what needs to be going on in my life right now? Because I'm in this progressive sanctification. All right, so when I trusted Jesus Christ, what positionally, I'm sanctified. Got that? Understand it, right? Someday when Jesus comes again or when I die to go to be with him, I will be perfectly sanctified, all right? But right now, in the nasty here and now, I have to live in this matter of, progressive sanctification, becoming more like what Jesus Christ saved me for. And he talks about it. So let's look at these verses. And it's so simply laid out for us. It's simple. It's not easy, always easy to do. All right, first thing, verse 12. I have to acknowledge I haven't arrived. Okay, so I've had you say a bunch of things with me. You ready now? I want you to say something that's really tough, okay? Ready? I am not perfect. I want you to say that right now, okay? I am not perfect. All right, now I want you to really mean it. Let's try it again. I am not perfect. Oh, I want you to say it with a little bit more meaning than that. All right? I am not perfect. All right, good. Look at one another and say that now. Just look at your wife. Look at your wife and say that right now. That's right. <laughs> yeah. uh, wives, look at your husbands and say that right now. <laughs> okay, I just got myself in a lot of trouble, and you are you are laughing about it, <clears throat> but. Here, here it is. It's, um, it's something that some people aren't willing 
aren't willing to admit in their relationship with God. And it really is a problem. And I have to come to the place where I understand I haven't arrived yet. I'm not perfect. I am not what God is going to God is going to make me. And because of that, I'm missing out. I'm missing out and enjoying God when I'm not completely perfect and holy like he wants me to be. By the way, in many places, he teaches this concept. He teaches it in Ephesians chapter 4. He teaches it in Peter when he says, be holy as I am holy. He teaches it in the book of Revelation when he talks to the churches and he says, you know what? I've seen where you've fallen. And he says, I want you to repent and I want you to get things right with me because I want you to enjoy me and you can't enjoy me when there's sin in your life. And so you need to have the attitude. You first need to say, I'm not perfect. I haven't already attained. I'm not already perfect. I'm not perfect. Now, you know what? The truth is, a lot of you don't have a problem with that one. But you have a problem with the second one. All right? I've got to admit, I haven't arrived. I'm not perfect. Now, the second one is what some have a problem with. I must determine to do something about it. Because you know what some, some would say this morning? Well, hey, pastor, nobody's perfect. And you're right. No one is. But that's what we're supposed to strive for. And if we excuse ourselves and say, nobody's perfect, it's true. I mean, you, you can look, you can poke your mate right now. Nobody's perfect. But that's no excuse. And we have to come to the place where we're not only willing to say, I haven't arrived. I, 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 I'm not where I'm supposed to be. But we got to come to a place where we're going to de- determine to do something about it. Paul understood the importance. Look at what he said in verse 13. I count not myself to have apprehended. I, I'm not there yet. But this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth into those things which are before, I press toward the mark. So I must acknowledge I haven't arrived. I must determine to do something about it. I want to change. I want to be what God has made me to be. He saved me for that. He's already, he sees me that way. Someday in his presence, I will be that way. And I want to enjoy him now. And I want to do something about it. So I'm going to determine to change my life. Now, here's something else. Third thing, I must acknowledge I haven't arrived. I've got to determine to do something about it. Number three, I can't allow the past to deter me. Do you know what? Some Christians get discouraged by their past. Oh, I'm such a, some would say, before I was saved, I was such a wicked person, I could never amount to anything for God. Here's the thing, God sanctifies. And God helps you, by the way, in this process of sanctification today. So there's no excuse. You can't say, well, before I was saved, I was a wicked person. What could I do? Well, Paul was a wicked person as well. And so are so many other people in the Bible. I mean, we could talk about, you know, Moses was a pretty wicked person. He, had, he killed someone with his own hands. There's a lot of people in the Bible who are wicked people. And if you look and say, well, my past keeps me from serving God, well, look at what he said in verse 13, forgetting those things which are behind. Now, some Christians might say, before I was saved, I have a bad past. But, you know, some Christians will say, You know, I haven't really lived for God all that much since I've trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior. And maybe, maybe there has been a time of backsliding. That's sometimes the term we use for it. 
where you've strayed from God and you've gone far from God. And you may look at your life and say, well, you know, I made such a mess of things. How can I turn things around? Well, you know what Paul did? He forgot the things that were behind. Now, that's an interesting word because you say, well, I can't forget. I can't forget what I've done. And those things, well, I don't know if he, he would ever get to the place where he forgot it. The word forget there means to lose out of mind. And not to lose your mind, mind you. I want to make sure you understand that. Don't lose your mind, but to lose out of mind. The idea is that he just refused to dwell on it. And here's the truth. If Paul kept dwelling on what he did in the past, he would have been a discouraged Christian all the time. He had Christians killed. He stood by and watched when Stephen was stoned and he held the coats. He was in full agreement with what went on. He went around and he persecuted Christians. And if he looked at his past, he would have been a guy who was like, <gasps> but he had to forget those things which are behind. Let me tell you something. The only thing that's keeping you from living that sacrificial life that God wants you to live it is, is you right now. See, the truth of the matter is you can't change anything that's happened in the past. You can't. You can't go back. Wouldn't it be great if there was a time machine? You could go back and, and fix all those things that you did that were wrong and change all the things that happened in your past. But I'm going to tell you something. This is I know it's amazing to you, but you can't do that. And so if you're going to live for God now, you've got to forget the things that you're behind. You gotta, here's, here was the idea. He didn't, he didn't, again, lose his mind, but he refused to let his mind dwell on it. And I'll tell you something. Satan is really good at helping remind us of the things that we've done that have caused us to fail God in the past because he wants us to be discouraged and those things will keep us from serving God. They really will. If you keep looking at your past, you're going to say, oh man, I can't do anything. For but the wonderful truth that Paul brings out in his passage is today is a new day. And if I want to, I can strive to be what God saved me to be and what he's going to make me someday. And so I'm going to do something about it today. I can't go back and change what I've done in the past, but I can today live for God. So you know what? I can't go back and read my Bible Monday through Friday this past week, but I can tomorrow. I can't go back and spend time in prayer with the Lord and really enjoy closeness to him with a great prayer life last week because it's already gone. But you know, tomorrow I can get up and I can get alone with God and I can talk to God and I can begin that prayer life that he wants me to have so I might enjoy this closeness to God and enjoy this sanctification and make progress in my life. I can't live in the past. And if I live in the past, I won't live for God today. And so I've got to forget those things. So i got to acknowledge I haven't arrived. I must determine to do something about it. I must not allow the past to deter me. And I need to reach for that which is beyond me. Someone said one person with a commitment is worth 100 who only have an interest. Think about that. One person with a commitment is worth 100 who only have an interest. There's a lot of people who have an interest. Oh, I'd like to live for God if I could, if it was easy. But Paul said, I'm reaching forth. It's like, man, I see. Have you ever seen oh, a, a movie, a battle scene where the, the hero, the good guy, it, it always happens. He drops his weapon, and his weapon's just out of reach, right? Knife, gun, whatever it is. 
you know, bomb, I don't know, whatever it is, you know, but it's just out of reach, right? And there's this epic battle going on. And what is he doing the whole time? He's, he's looking to, to, reach that, to reach that gun, to reach that weapon, to reach that tool that's going to bring the victory in the battle. And so there's this fight going on, you know, and they, they, they duke it out. It's amazing how many times a guy can get hit in the face and still keep going. It's just, just you know, a wonder, you know. TV is an amazing thing, all right? So this is going on, and, 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 so, and then they wrestle on the ground, you know, and the guy will start climbing toward it, and then the other guy will pull him back or kick him or do something, you know, terrible to But the whole thing is, i got to reach this. i got to get there. This is going to bring me the victory. And that was how Paul lived life. This is what's going to bring me victory, being like Jesus Christ and being like what he made me. And so this is what I'm striving for. I see it there, and, and it's just out of my reach because I got this flesh that keeps wanting to do that, which is wrong. But that's what drives me. And that's where Christians need to be in their life, where they get to the place where they say, this is important. I'm not going to allow the past to deter me, and I'm going to reach to what's before me, and I'm going to, if it's a life and death struggle, it doesn't matter. I am going to strive for this because that's what God wants. And then verse 14, I'm going to keep going. Press on. Love that. Press on. That's what God wants us to do. Is that your goal? Is that what you're striving for in your Christian life? Here's the truth. Here's the truth. A lot of Christians are satisfied to say, positionally, God made me this way. Someday, woo-hoo, I'm going to be like him. I'm on my way to heaven. I'm okay. And people that are like that are, are missing out on enjoying God. They're missing out on God's best. They're missing out on enjoying what Jesus Christ saved them for. And quite honestly, someone who doesn't understand this truth, doesn't understand progressive sanctification, is really going to be a miserable Christian. Because that's why God saved them. And that's where Christians need to get prepared. Okay, I got this job to do. I got this battle to be one for God. And I am going to keep going no matter what happens. And if I sin and if I fail, I'm going to forget the things which are behind and I'm going to reach forth to the things which are before. And if something comes between God and I, I am going to struggle and I'm going to keep on because I'm pressing toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Someday when I stand before him, I'm going to be perfect and I want to try to get there as much as I can with all my strength up to that point. My friends, that's what this passage is all about. Now, let me share with you in the verses that follow, verse 15 on through verse 21, with you the progress of sanctification. That's the process. We kind of saw it laid out for us in those verses. Now, the progress. Here's some things that encourage me. Look at verse 15 once again. Let us therefore as many as be perfect be thus minded. And if in anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. You know what God says? If you pursue, God will help. Isn't that encouraging? Now, I know it's not really necessarily encouraging when God says you got sin in your life, you need to change it. I mean, we don't feel good when we have that happen, right? I don't, I don't feel good when I'm sitting in a service. I say, ooh, he's hitting on something I know I'm not doing. I, I know you've never had that happen, but I have. 
And it's not a good feeling, but I'll tell you something, it's good because it helps me to see where I failed in the race, where I failed in, in this progressive sanctification he wants for me, so that I can do something about it. I can confess it and I can move on for the glory of God. And that's important for my life. And the thing that verse 15 reveals is that unless you have this goal, I really want to get there, then there are going to be times where you won't be able to even see your own sin. And you know, there are some Christians that don't see it. Yeah, I know I'm not right with God. They might even, you know, admit that. But, you know, I'm okay. No, here's what verse 15 reveals. He says, look, when you have this goal to be perfect, when you have this goal to reach what God saved you for, he says, you can count on this fact. There is a loving God in heaven that will help you to see things in your life that need improvement so you can make progress and become more like him and help you see things that you're doing that are right and that are good and that you need to keep doing. And I'm encouraged by that because sometimes it's easy to lose sight of what's going on in your life. And sometimes you know, we, we, um, sometimes we can't see things in our own lives. And God said this, look, you pursue it. Here's what Paul said. Then God will help you to help you see the things that you need to change. And I'll tell you something. If you can come to service after service after service, if you can come to revival meetings at Spring Meadow Baptist Church and hear the word of God on a continual basis and you never get convicted about your sin, then I'll tell you something, and this is what the Bible reveals in verse 15. You're not running. You say, well, that's awful mean, Pastor, and you're just jumping all over me today. No, because it can happen in my life as well. If I lose sight of the goal... If I stop striving to be like Jesus Christ and live this holy, sanctified life that God has intended for me, it, when I stop, I stop seeing the things because God stops revealing those things to me. And that's why, here, seriously, that's why a Christian can sit in a revival meeting and a, the preacher can be preaching on the exact things they're not doing in their life. And they can leave those meetings and it's like, hmm, wow, that was a good message, yeah. And just go on their way. Why is it? Because God isn't in the business of revealing to someone who isn't sincere what they need to change in their life. Why would God waste his time telling you you need to deal with this if you're not willing to deal with it? Think about that. Right? Have you ever told have you ever told yourself, well, it'd be a waste of time telling them that because they won't listen anyway? Hey, come on. Have you ever been there? You ever done that with your kid? No, it's no sense in even telling them that. Well, listen, anyway, you do that with your relatives all the time, right? No sense telling them about that in their life because they aren't willing to listen. Well, why would we expect God to reveal something to, to us if we're not willing, we're not even striving at all to be what he wants us to be? That's powerful, isn't it? So in verse 15, God says, if, if, Paul says, if you're striving this way, here's what I know because God has done this for me. He will reveal the things that are in your life that need to change for you to become more like Jesus Christ. So if you pursue it, God will help the progress of sanctification. Notice verse 16. Nevertheless, whereunto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us mind the same thing. Now, not only if you pursue God, God will help in the progress of sanctification, but growth, growth is by, uh, by faith. I Actually, there's two things to say. Growth is by faith, and growth is a step-by-step -step process. 
Hey, have you ever had a spiritual victory in your life? If you've ever had a spiritual victory in your life, and, and you better be able to do this, raise your hand. All right. Wow. If you, if you haven't, wow, that's, that's really bad. I would suspect every Christian should be able to raise their hand. They've had some spiritual victory. All right. How'd you get the victory? What'd you do? And God says, learn from it. Learn from it. Okay, so you, when you first got saved, you weren't reading the Bible every day, right? But now you're reading the Bible every day. All right, how'd you change? Think about it. Well, maybe you had a foul, a foul mouth before you got saved, and you got saved, and the Lord helped you to, to stop your swearing and cursing. Wonderful. All right, how'd that happen? What was the process? Think about it. See, this is so practical. Verse 16 says, hey, look, if you've already attained this, if you've already taken these steps, and every Christian has, Paul could say, every Christian has taken some steps. All right, so the same way you took steps to make progress in your Christian life in the past is the same way you take steps to make progress now in your life if you want to change and become more like Jesus Christ. So think about it. You know, it's not rocket science. It's not all that difficult. The way that you've won, won victories in your past. Now, some people look at verse 16 and they say this, well, where until we've already attained, here's what we've already attained. We attained it by faith. And what they say then is you need to have faith. And if you'll have faith, you can win the victory. And that, that is an appropriate way to understand verse 16. But it seems more like what he's talking about is this. Okay, so look, God made you perfect, and you've been making progress in your life, and now just take a look at what's been going on in your life and how many steps you've taken. And as you've looked at those things, think about how it happened, and then mimic that in other areas of your life. Now, that finds, I, I find that greatly encouraging because, at, well, at least most of you raised your hand saying, there's something that's changed in my life since I've been saved. Okay, that means whatever you're struggling with right now can change in your life. If you'll take what happened in the past and you'll make steps to follow that through. Does, that, does anyone find that encouraging? All right, so if I'm striving for this, God will help me to see areas in my life that need change. And when I see those areas in my life that need change, if I will look back and think, all right, this is how I changed in the past, then this is how I'm going to change in the future because God works in that way. Growth is a step-by-step -step process. I just need to walk with him. Someone wrote this, Horatius Bonar, who was a, a very godly man, they tell us. Sub, he was reflecting on the subject of holiness, and he said that little things can make or break a Christian. Here's what he wrote. A holy life is made up of a multitude of small things. It is the little things of the hour and not the great things of the age that fill up a life. What he's talking about is that the Christian life is not, tomorrow I'm sanctified. The Christian life is taking the next step and becoming more like Jesus Christ today and putting into practice the things that I've done in the past that have brought change in my life. And with God's help, understanding that it's going to happen the same way, taking day by day, taking hour by hour or minute by minute, if that be the case, to just walk with God on a regular basis. So many Christians like him have shared the very same truth, and the Bible tells us the very same thing. It's a step-by-step -step process. The, the way you've already attained, walk by the same rule, mind the same thing. And that's what God wants from you.
third thing we learn under this progress of sanctification. God will help you if you're really striving to do it. And then you, you, you make change now in your life and you change the things that are wrong in your life by doing the same thing that you've done to change other things in your life in the past. Then we see in verses 17, 18, and 19 another truth. He said, Brethren, be followers together of me and mark them which walk so as you have us for an example. For many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly and whose glory is in their shame. Find earthly things. You know, there are two groups of people in this world, and what Paul says is learn from good examples, reject the bad ones. All right, so, hey, in every church there are bad examples, and in every church there are good examples. So learn from the good, don't follow the bad. You know, some people make the, the greatest common denominator the fact that they're better than so-and-so, but that isn't the standard. And what he says in these verses is, hey, look, um, I'm striving to live for Jesus Christ. Now, there are many who aren't. Wow, that's kind of that's actually condemning a bunch of people, isn't it? A lot of people aren't living for God. I am. So follow what I'm doing and don't follow what they're doing. Be careful who you look at. And if you see someone in their Christian life who seems to be living for God and walking with God and in fellowship with God, get with them, learn from them, talk to them. Ask them the things that they did to win the victory in their life. Look to the good examples for help and reject the bad examples and don't go to them for help. And that's so important. Listen, listen Christian, it is so important who you listen to. Look, don't just... If you've got a problem in your life, don't just go to the Internet and find out what 8 million different people have to say about it. Because you will be a confused Christian. Go to the Bible. You say, well, I don't know where to look in the Bible. Then get a Christian who's walking with God and ask him for help to help you see what the Bible has to say and how to live it. Because there is no advice, there is no counsel whatsoever that's ever going to help you other than the Word of God. And you need to learn what it says. And if you'll look at the right people and learn from the right people, you'll save yourself from a lot of heartache. And there are a lot of Christians today who don't know what they believe because they're getting their advice and counsel from all sorts of people that don't even know the truth. So my friends, reject the wrong counsel and, and the bad examples and, and push them aside and follow the good ones. By the way, do you know there's, there are Christians that have stopped serving God, gotten out of church, because, because they looked at bad examples and they allowed them to be their pattern? Um, I, I, I still remember we, we had a teenager in our youth group in uh, Logansport, Indiana, that, whose dad had been a deacon in a good independent fundamental Baptist church had served God with, with all his heart and, and had served God for a number of years in that church. And, and you know, we, we don't believe the story actually happens, but it did. The pastor ran off with the organist. So this guy now would let his daughter come to youth group, but he wasn't going to church anywhere. And we tried to talk to him and encourage him to come. He was like, I don't want anything to do with church. Here's what, he, he followed the bad example. 
He learned from the bad example. And there are bad examples. There are people that will fail you. So what you got to do is you got to look to those who are doing that which is right. And you just got to say, when someone does that which is wrong, even if they're someone that you highly respect, that I'm not going to learn from that. Learn from good examples, reject bad examples. The final thing we learn in verses 20 and 21 is a beautiful truth. For our conversation in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. Someday every knee will bow and every tongue will confess Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He will subdue everything to himself. He is Lord, the almighty Lord. Someday he will make me perfect and I won't struggle with sin any longer. And I'm looking forward to that day. Someday he will do that. He's going to change my vile body and I'm going to be like him. That's an amazing thing. And I look forward to that day. Now I need to live like it. He said this for our conversation. You know what that word is? It's citizenship. I, I'm already in heaven. I'm a citizen of heaven. Do you know that? I'm a citizen of heaven. Now I'm not there yet. And I'm not necessarily looking to go today. Although if that's in the world, then we're okay with that. But I'm a citizen of heaven, so why not live like it? Heaven is a holy, perfect place. And that's what he wants from me now. Sanctification. Progress. Becoming more like Jesus Christ because when he saved me, that's what he made me, positional sanctification. Someday he's going to make me perfect, perfect sanctification. But right now, God wants me to progress. Are you? Are you? Is that your Christian life? If not, then press on. It's time. Because that's what God saved you for. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. It's not over till the final whistle is blown. And until it's blown, we need to move along and make progress and press on. So this morning, the invitation will be a little bit different, so I want you to listen carefully. If you're here and you don't know Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you need him and he wants to save you. And we would love to take a Bible and show you how you can be saved like Paul was by putting your faith in Jesus Christ. And I want to ask you to see me after service because I would love to, to take a Bible and show you how you can know you're part of the family of God. So the invitation right at this moment isn't for believer, for those who are unsaved. It's for those who are saved. You're part of the family of God. If you're saved, God has already made you perfect in, in position. God will make you position, uh, perfect someday. But right now, God wants you to be progressing. And if you're here and you would say this, Pastor, here's the truth. God spoke to me today. There's progress that's needed in my life, and I haven't been doing that. Maybe you'd say, I didn't even understand sanctification. I haven't been living that way, and God spoke to me. Or maybe you'd be saying, I know there's things in my life that aren't pleasing the Lord, and I haven't been making progress, and God spoke to me today, and I need to press on. And that's the, that's the challenge God has given to me today. Now, if that is you, and in just a moment, what I'm going to have you do 
is just testify to that very fact. It's not saying you're in wicked sin, but it's just saying you haven't been prog progressing and God has convicted you about that very thing. And so I'm going to ask you, if God did convict you about that very thing, in just a minute, I'm going to ask you to stand up as a testament to that fact, saying, by God's grace today, I am going to press on. I'm going to make progress in my Christian life. God has challenged me, and I know this is what he wants for my life. Now, if you're here and you're unsaved, it doesn't have anything to do with you. If you're here and you're saved and you're walking with God and that is the focus and desire of your life, then this has nothing to do with you either. But if you are, have been convicted today about not pressing on as you ought and God spoke to you about something in your life, whatever it may be, bigger or small, whatever it may be, then I want you to be, then you should be willing to say, by God's grace, this is my desire. I want to press on and I'm going to stand and testify to the fact that is the desire of my life. If you understand that and God has worked in your heart and you are that Christian who, who God has spoken to about pressing on and you haven't been as you ought, then would you just right now as a testament to that fact, stand to your feet. Would you do that this morning? That's the invitation. Ben, but God has spoken to me today and that's what I desire and that's what I long for in my life. Wonderful. Anyone else say the same? It hasn't been, but that's what God has helped, helped me to see, and that's what I desire for my life. Praise the Lord. Let's all stand together, if everyone would.